sooner rather than later, the music stops and the whole house of cards comes flashing down. And I think you've seen that with a number of operators that have consolidated in our space. You know, that's that's a problem for every business. You know, you, it's there's not a week goes by without a supplier coming back with, you know, price increases and cost inflation that, that's just been inescapable. It's moved beyond the main cities of Glasgow and Edinburgh and Dundee, Stirling and Perth, and it's moved very much out from the hinterland into the tourist area as well. There are amazing cafes out and about everywhere. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of coffee business magazine, Fifth Wave. Today, we're turning our focus onto the UK coffee shop market, a market that is unrecognizable from just 20 years ago as coffee consumption has exploded across UK high streets. In terms of the big end of town, the Allegra World Coffee Portal Project Cafe UK 22 report revealed the UK branded coffee shop market grew 43% in 2021 to reach 4.4 billion in turnover with a market value now 87% of pre-pandemic levels and branded outlet numbers now even exceed those of 2019. So this is the reality for the large chain operators, but what about the smaller multi-site specialty operators across the UK? And what opportunities do they see and what are their challenges? Aiming to cover most of the UK, we'll be exploring the Scottish specialty coffee market by speaking with John Thompson of Artisan Roast, then to the Midlands with Will Kenny of 200 Degrees. But let's begin in London by meeting with Roland Horn, founder and CEO of Watch House, a chain of nine central London cafes with another four in design as we speak, plus a roastery. Roland started his career as an aquarium architect for the luxury market. In 2014, an opportunity emerged to create a cafe at the end of Bermondsey Street near London Bridge, a site which actually was a former watch house 200 odd years ago. Great. Well, welcome, Roland. Thanks very much. So what's your views on where the coffee market is in London? I think um, we've obviously gone through a period of consolidation, and I think that will continue. You'll start to see both inorganic and organic consolidation. And what I mean by that, of course, is that operators who are being removed from spaces for comparable light-for-light operations. But I think you're also going to see that's on the inorganic side. But on the organic side, you are going to see operators seeking to acquire other operators and other spaces where the economics don't stack up. And I think what's super interesting is, obviously, we've seen this sort of re-gearing in many ways about the cost space of running a cafe, certainly within central London. I guess fundamentally for us during this period, I think that the consolidation period was seen pre-COVID. I think it's happened since COVID. We did acquire some sites just before COVID from Fernandes and Wells, who were a small operator here in central London. And we were offered quite a few from other people during that period as well. But I think it comes back to that point about authenticity. And I think in our space, there's been, a, in some ways, a, a bastardization of growth in terms of the big corporate feel of people coming. And we're not talking about the second wave operators here, right? We're talking about more ambitious commercial funded um, non-coffee operators that come into the space um, probably chasing the blue bottle yep. story right and, and i don't have a problem with that personally i think that innovation blue bottle is one of the brands leaving aside the nestle deal the brand and what they've done in terms of consistency within specialty is i mean that's just fantastic but i i think i do have a problem with people who are just here for that right and i think that sooner rather than later that the music stops and the whole house of cards comes flashing down. And I think you've seen that with a number of operators that have consolidated in our space. So I think we've gone from this consolidation period, but actually now I think 
UK specialty scene, some of the myopia around specialty coffee has been a bit insular. We haven't looked outside of our church to try and find new people to bring in, right? And the truth is, I am a frustrated customer. I'm not a coffee specialist per se. And I hold that really close to my heart because I think that the lack of empathy maybe within the sector historically has been one in which it's not embraced new people into the church, as it were. So I think moving forward with the consolidation period, I think the sort of so-called money men in some ways have kind of found that it's it's hard. And I think that as we move forward into the next period, I think what you're going to start seeing now is significant innovation and not just around specialty coffee. I think it has to also be about that experience. So it, in our business, we have four key pillars. We refer to them as premium products, our people, exceptional places, and motivating profit. What are the challenges for hospitality business in, in this moment that we're living through? The labour shortage, Brexit, COVID, increases in the minimum pay standards, which again is long overdue, but still it is a challenge for businesses that are smaller particularly. But again, I think some of the beauties of this country, you know, we've got 65 million people within the UK and, and therefore if you are genuinely a best-in-class employer, I do honestly believe people will will come and we see that. We now have the opportunity to have all of our 200 employees now as an accredited London Living Wage provider, so everyone is paid minim- minimum of London Living Wage within our business and that was long overdue. So the labour side is definitely one. Clearly, the supply chain is a huge issue, and we've seen that across our business now. We're at the point now where we're ordering, even this week, we ordered uh, 3 million of our cups each time, basically. And we've now had to sort of double up that order to keep 3 million cups in store at all times in case of problems with the supply chain, just as an example in, in hand. I think on the remainder of the cost side, I think what you've seen in the last period, coming back to the property side, is you've seen very, very conciliatory landlords which sounds like an oxymoron, but it was like that, certainly the first two thirds of COVID. And now you're starting to see a hardening up again, back to the good old days of unsustainable rents and et cetera. So that's a concern. If landlords who have their own pressures, right? I'm not one of those people that thinks that you can just hammer landlords. Like we've, they've all got debt covenants and you know considerations and families and mouths to feed, right? But actually, I think there is also sort of the profiteering side, which I think you know landlords also need to go slowly to get us back to our position. I think what I've certainly seen in the in the market now is some very interesting moments where landlords are looking for sort of premiums to sign deals, which given that during COVID they were paying capex contributions to get people into site. So there's been a very big change there. Um, so there are three significant challenges uh, within within our space. And then of course, I mean, we haven't even touched upon coffee supply and, and, and natural disaster in South America in particular. And I think that's something that's, I think in some ways, you know, we forward bought a lot, a lot of our coffee, but I think if you're talking about the macro scene, uh, that's obviously going to be a significant issue. But again, it comes back to that point whereby if we're going to have great product, then we need to pay great money for it, in my opinion, and we need to charge good money for that product. So I hope that the race to the bottom within our sector does start to stop. So what about the customers? How have the customers changed in this eight years since you set up shop? I think that has been a sophistication. I, I mean, it's a gradual evolution and it's one to be expected, right? People understand the product more now. They have more nuance. It's not, oh, I'm buying a strong or a weak coffee. It's gone past that through to, right, am I buying a Colombian or an Ethiopian? That being said, I think there is still a huge amount of people out there that have no real idea. And here's the other thing, have no real interest necessarily in all those things that I've just said. And I think that's fine. We can bring them along. But I think fundamentally, the cost base and our ability for us to actually show customers that they can have a better experience but not have to come into a store to have that has also given us the opportunity to do more interesting things as well in terms of our ability to to connect with them in different ways in terms of e-commerce and, of course, using things like prepay and order order so then they arrive at the product's ready. You know, you see people like Panera Bread in the US as a 
probably the best in case example. Sort of sixty percent of their revenue comes from digital, given they're a bakery. Um, and I think like there's really interesting digital experiences, which I think we're seeing outside of the UK, which I think have been brought in. I mean, you're seeing the same. Uh, thing with Pret, obviously a JAB owned business as well. So you're seeing this digital evolution, which customers really want that connectivity, and they're they're relentless. Like they they won't take an app that freezes. They won't take no Apple Pay. You know they won't <laughs> if it says four minutes for their coffee. They want it in four minutes, and that's great. So I think there's been this movement towards digital. There's been this movement towards sophistication. I think there's been this movement towards wanting more than just a singular thing, right? So it can't just be great coffee. It can't be great personality but bad product it can't just be oh i want a coffee but there's nothing else that's on offer like there needs to be this holistic experience so i think for watch house moving forward in the next three to five years what we want to do is we want to expand organically we want to make sure that we do things with the right authenticity true to our brand and our core values yes we want to be ambitious you know you know we'd like to open sort of circa six to eight uh, houses a year ideally we've been approached a number of times and i know as others have been as well for doing franchise deals in the uae and uh, the nordic region and also the states we're not there yet i don't feel very protective over the brand i don't we don't do wholesale coffee for example we, we will never do wholesale coffee ever so I'm very protective of what we do as a brand, but equally we want to be ambitious and crack on as well and do some really great stuff and improve and 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 see what we can do globally, not just within the UK. But you know, that's the three to five years. Right. Well, Roland, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks very much. Roland paints a picture of significant opportunity for growth ahead for his business and also outlines some of the key risks he faces. He believes there's an opportunity to broaden the appeal of specialty coffee welcoming in all types of coffee drinkers while also offering a more digital experience. But more imminent risks are landlords seeking unsustainable rents and the acute labour shortage. We're now going to hop onto the M1 motorway and make our way to Nottingham, where we'll hear how specialty coffee chains in the middle of the UK are faring by speaking with Will Kenny, commercial director at 200 Degrees, a chain of 15 specialty stores and a roastery. 200 Degrees opened their first store eight years ago in the East Midlands and now have cafes in Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester and Cardiff, to name a few. Welcome, Will. Thanks, Jeffrey. So what is the main driver for the continued growth of specialty coffee across the UK? So I, I think really the key ingredient is the fact that consumers want to learn more you know, it's very easy when you've been in kind of coffee for a long time. You know, we forget that there's still people coming through that are discovering speciality coffee. You know, it's a new experience for them. You know, be it the people who were stuck at working from home over, over COVID and bought themselves espresso machines and now wondering how on earth they use them and how they get the best out of them. To people that, you know, make that journey to discover different origins, different processing methods. You know, there's always people wanting to learn more about coffee. What are the key challenges that you face at the moment in the marketplace? You know, one of the core ones that certainly you've talked uh, talked previously on Fifth Wave about is recruitment and retention of our teams. You know, we've uh, just celebrated the fact we have our 200th employee joined us a couple of weeks ago, which is, you know, kind of an unbelievable, (laughs) seems unbelievable for a small roaster from Nottingham. But as part of that, you know, we're now recruiting for a people and culture manager because making sure that our teams feel valued you know, that we're attracting the right people into the industry. You know, this is a wider challenge just outside of 200 degrees. You know, I I love hospitality. It's what I've always done. We need to make sure that, you know, the teenagers of today, you know, they want to come in and and see being working in a, you know, a coffee shop or a hotel or a restaurant, that it's a valued career that they can succeed and and really thrive in. So there's this big long-term issue of retail going online 
and actually a lot more shops being being empty. Does that provide more opportunities for you in terms of uh, landlords looking for for coffee shop operators? <laughs> Listen, there's no, there's no there's no shortage of coffee shop operators. I think we uh, we all know that. Uh, um, I think. For us and, and for landlords, it's getting the right mix. So, you know, you look at that wider scope of town centre planning, making sure there's that good, you know, mix, especially now our, our working practices are changing. You know, it needs to be an element of retail, an element of residential. You know, hospitality is, is core to paying a, a part of, of people wanting to be in city and town centre locations. You know, that human interaction, we all missed it. Um, throughout the lockdowns and, and we've definitely seen you know our customers come back and enjoying being in and around other people in the coffee shops um, and I, I think an interesting kind of side effect is just everyone seems that much happier and a bit more pleasant that vibe you get when you go into the shops just you can tell people are uh, enjoying being being out and about in each other's company the other one that seems to be quite a a major concern across the whole uk at the moment is inflation and rising costs is that a problem for your business and and how you're dealing with it you know that's that's a problem for every business you know you it's there's not a week goes by without a supplier coming back with you know price increases and cost inflation that that's just been inescapable so we've seen it across every really facet of the business you know certainly in terms of raw materials packaging costs the green market at the moment is rising shipping costs have been rising exponentially you know we've got changes in terms of vat coming in you know kind of wage costs you you name it those there are challenges and i, I think that's our, our job as operators is to make sure that we run as efficiently as possible. You know, we, we need to keep control of those costs and, you know, every operator is trying to do their hardest to, to avoid having to pass that on to consumers. So do you think that there is going to need to be an adjustment in prices soon? I think most operators have already done that. You know, I think the question is, you know, as we go through this year, what's the landscape going to be as we come out of, of, of lockdown? You know, hopefully this is the end of COVID restrictions. <laughs> that model of having to move to takeaway or having screens up or having reduced opening hours, you know, as we can get back to normal, that's going to be the, the, the true test. Pretty much everyone that, that we're seeing in terms of our competitors, even ourselves, we've had to make adjustments in our, in our, in our prices. Is the sort of e-commerce side of your business, is that something that's grown? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't think you'll talk to many coffee roasters that haven't seen their e-commerce, their business grow. You know, definitely the challenge now is what will the like for likes look like, you know, because trying to figure out when, you know, whether you've, you're up or down this month based on whether there was lockdown, you know, last year or the year before, I think is going to make life interesting. You know, it's certainly far more competitive than it ever was online. But it's also been great because, you know, consumers are taking the time to learn more about specialty coffee, understand the differences between origins, between roasters, to how they actually brew it. So I think it's definitely helped in terms of that education process for customers. How do you see this positioning of the specialty versus the chains? Do you see, you know, enough growth for all players there? There was a moment where it was difficult for small guys to get the, the best sites. Is there a new opportunity for smaller players? I think there is. I think it's always difficult in terms of, you know, just the cost of property alone is, is prohibitive to a lot of independent operators. 
Secondly, you know, landlords like certainty. And if you're if you're starting up your own coffee business and you haven't got a proven trading history, then, you know, you need to find a landlord that has got a bit of vision and, and, and trust in you as an operator. And certainly what we've seen is, you know, as, as we've opened more shops, you know, we start to become better known. People have more awareness of, the, of what we do, the level of investment that we put into our shops and the, and the credible operators that we are. Um, and that's always going to be difficult for the new guys. That's just kind of one of the facts of life, unfortunately. I think it was interesting kind of the way you phrased the question in terms of chains versus speciality. And I, I don't think it's one or the other. If, if we're honest, the speciality coffee market wouldn't exist without the chains having been there. The, the Starbucks, the Costas and Eros of the world have done a, a great job in introducing people to coffee. There's just a number of different levels that you can then go to. And, you know, we like to play our part in helping people on their journey to discover new, exciting, different coffees as, as they go through. So I, I think there's, there's room for everyone there. It's, it's just far more difficult for independents to get that initial foothold on the ladder and then to scale it in any kind of meaningful way. And if we were to, say, look at sort of the trading patterns of, of stores, have your stores recovered back to the levels of pre-COVID? Well, <laughs> therein lies the uh, the challenge in terms of really kind of understanding what the kind of the, the core sales trends are. So, you know, we've absolutely got some shops that were operating pre-COVID that are struggling to get back to the levels where they were. We're probably at maybe 80, 90% in some of those shops. We've got other shops where the footfall just changed. So we, you know, we've got one particular shop that's on the canal side. It also happens to be next to the train station. So previously it was very, very heavily dominated by commuters coming into work. All of a sudden that trade goes, but then people are, you know, out walking, taking their dogs and they're stopping by the shop because they want to pick up a, a takeaway coffee. And we've also got some, some real anomalies. You know, we've got one particular shop in Lincoln, beautiful shop. It's, it's kind of, it's almost like COVID didn't happen. The trading has stayed very, very strong throughout, and it's interesting to understand how much of that is down to regional differences, whether it's just that particular shop. There's no hard or fast rule. There are, there, there are changes in, in trading patterns depending on where the shops are located in terms of what we're seeing. Sounds like lots of opportunity ahead regionally for across the UK. Thanks, Will, for joining us here today. Cheers, Jeffrey. Good speaking with you. Will reinforces many of the findings of Allegra's Project Cafe 22 report. He sees rising inflation, staff shortages, and the challenges of forecasting sales after COVID disrupted trading patterns. But underlying it all, he sees lots of opportunity as UK consumers are falling further in love with specialty coffee. Finally, let's drive even further north to Edinburgh, Scotland, by speaking with John Thompson of Artisan Roast. John began his career in the mid-90s, working in quality control and green buying for tailors of Harrogate. In 2012, he began working with Artisan Roast, a chain of four cafes, a roastery and a lab in Edinburgh, where he looks after purchasing, product development and e-commerce. Welcome, John. Thank you, Geoffrey. So how would you describe the current trading environment in Scotland? You know, as things are moving up, we've got quite a positive trading environment. I think because we had different elements of the, the coffee business, I think. So we've been pretty resilient through the, the pandemic. 
Um, certainly the e-commerce side of the business did really well. And I think we were very lucky in that we had a really good customer base who were really loyal, who liked our brand. And as the cafe shut, they helped and, and moved into the e-commerce side as well and, and supported us through that. The cafe side and the wholesale side were up and were operating again. One of the locations over in Glasgow uh, shut down and then we opened two new ones as well. So we've managed to sort of transition through the last couple of years relatively positively. Obviously, you know, sort of, I think generally hospitality's had a really interesting time and there, there are certainly challenges which still remain, but I think we've been relatively fortunate through things. So what has been the change on prices, you know, here in the UK in, in terms of how much you typically pay for the coffees that you buy? Or what's the magnitude of increase over the last year or two? The last couple of years, I suppose what's very interesting is the, the difference between the different qualities of coffee. I think specialty coffee, they've continued to rise in terms of their price. Consumers will readily pay for those, I think, and that's really important as well. People won't shirk at paying 10, 12 pounds or more for a 250 gram bag of coffee. And that's that's a, that's a normal price range within really good quality specialty coffee. That's that's certainly something which has happened over the last decade. So there's that increase of prices in coffee. What's the impact on roasters and coffee shops and ultimately the consumer in the UK? Well, if you look at the retail price index of coffee in the few years Previous to now, it's been relatively stagnant. And if we look at kind of the wider economy, I would say that what we've we've seen is there's been lots of inflationary pressures coming into the wider economy. There are uh, wage increases coming through. The the general uh, cost of living has risen, particularly over the last six months um, as we move out of the pandemic. The impact of Brexit is certainly having an impact in the UK. And I think the um, suppressed price of coffee over the last two or three years has maybe absorbed some of those costs where sort of roasters, not just specialty roasters, but larger roasters, have been able to maintain their, the cost of a cup of coffee in store, the, the, the cost of a bag of coffee on retail, certainly in the big retailers and, and beyond, the wage increases, the, the extra cost of packaging, things like cardboard, energy prices all rising. Coffee absorbed those. And as soon as coffee's actually moved up, then there's nowhere else to go. So... It's inevitable that all coffee roasters are putting their prices up and there will be a, a price passed on to consumers. Right. Now, talking of those consumers, what's changed about the consumer? I think the consumers, uh, they understand coffee quality. One of the things which is great about Scotland, particularly Edinburgh, where I live, is it's a really dynamic international city. It's a really popular location for tourism. It's got a really strong hospitality scene as well, really focused around food. There are some, we've got really good Michelin star restaurants. We probably over-deliver in terms of the number of Michelin stars in the city per capita. Um, and supporting that, there's a really vibrant coffee scene. When I first moved to Scotland, I think there were six or seven coffee roasters in Scotland. And there's maybe 30, 40 roasters across Scotland now, all doing a fantastic job. Through the last decade, people have got aware of what good coffee is. People understand coffee. I think there is still space in, in specialty coffee to remain accessible for people as well. As new people come to coffee and as sort of what people are interested in coffee continues to change, I think we have to remain accessible. We have to listen to our consumers and adapt to, to different trends. 
at a roasting level, maybe there's a continued trend to roast more for filter because there's more people drinking coffee at home. People continue to be interested in filter. And I think that just shows that Scotland very much matches the trend of the, the rest of the UK over the last 10 to 15 years. Would you say the sort of the landscape now for specialty coffee in Scotland, do you think consumers are going to be visiting more specialty coffee outlets than the chains or are the chains holding their own as well? I think it's a combination of both. Consumers know where they want to drink coffee. People have really strong opinions about what coffee they like and they know where to get that as well. And that's why the the larger chains are really strong on that is because they've got a really loyal customer base. And then beyond that, people who are interested in specialty coffee, there's more access to it in Scotland. I think that's what's really important is it's moved beyond the main cities of, of Glasgow and Edinburgh and Dundee and Stirling and Perth. And it's moved very much out from the hinterland into the tourist area as well. There's a roastery setting up on Harris this week. You know, there are roasteries on the Isle of Skye. Up in the Highlands, there are amazing cafes out and about everywhere. If you go to towns like Pitlochry, there are a couple of uh, specialty cafes, and those are the ones which are busy. People know where to go to get great coffee within Scotland, and I think it's that wider accessibility. For people who are interested in specialty coffee, they know where to go, and that there are options to be able to get that. From an artisan's perspective, we're really lucky with that as well, is because as well as new roasteries setting up in the islands and highlands, we've continued to have uh, really loyal uh, wholesale customers all the way up towards Ullapool, again on the Isle of Skye. And I think that's one of the important things that drew me to Scotland is, is, as well as being a really beautiful place to live, there are diverse communities, people are loyal to their locality. And I think that's central to what specialty coffee is, you know, sort of people want to support their local community. Um, they want to support their local cafe as well. And specialty cafes in, in Scotland go beyond just being a cafe in itself. And I think that's been central to the artisan roast proposition. It's, it's about community in cafes as well as being a cafe and, and having that emotional reciprocity between the barista and the customer. And that's, I think, as we cycle out of the pandemic, I think that's increasingly important is kind of, people's well-being. Wonderful. Well, John, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Hey, welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you very much. There are certainly real challenges for the UK coffee sector right now. Record inflation, staff shortages, supply chain disruptions. But I remain optimistic. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen coffee venues playing a vital role in the lives of British consumers, communities across the country. But for me, the clear takeaway from this episode is that specialty coffee is booming regionally and potentially at faster growth rates than for the branded chains. And this growth is not simply in coffee shops. We're also experiencing a boom in at-home coffee, suggesting that UK consumers are fast becoming a nation of specialty coffee drinkers. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Check out our show notes to read the findings from the Project Cafe UK 22 report. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Follow us on Instagram, Fifth Wave Coffee. That's number five followed by TH Wave Coffee. And tell us what topics are important to you so we can make the show more relevant to you and to your business. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. 
It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song from the Coffee Music Project is Strong Coffee by London-based artist Tully Spear. And until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. See?